0: I want to start this morning by telling you something really shocking, and if you know me at all, you know that I'm in no way melodramatic or over the top or emotional or any of those things. So if I say to you that this is shocking news, you know it's really, really shocking. Are you ready? 2020 did not turn out the way I had planned. That's my shocking news. That's the whole thing. This was going to be my year. I turned 40 in a month. I'm not there yet. I turned 40 in a month, and something about 2020 and clear vision and clarity and all of that felt super prophetic for me, and that has not worked out the way that I thought. Uh, I've been doing this thing Monday and Wednesday mornings on Instagram where I watch this, uh, this little live show that Allie and Joe do. Do you guys know Allie Worthington and Joe Saxon? They do this show together, Monday and Wednesday morning and Allie has decided to call 2020 the year that must not be named. And I think maybe maybe that's where I am too. I mean, this is true of all of us, right? So let's do an exercise. This is what Travis has taught me. You have to get people, especially at 8.30, involved, right? So I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand in just a second. Are you ready? So if you had plans for 2020 that worked out exactly the way you thought, raise your hand. See, I told you, you didn't wanna raise your hand. No one, no one raised their hand, no one raised their hand because none of this has gone the way we expected. We've kind of been blindsided by this year. So much change and so much disappointment, and that makes it a little tricky to talk about hope. Travis wasn't lying, I didn't wanna talk about hope because hope is really hard for me because it feels like everything has fallen apart and all of those big plans I had, you guys, the perfect vacation in April. Was planned and ready to go. And we stayed right here in Maine, which is a great place, but it was not the perfect vacation. But we do have to talk about hope today. It is the first day, the first Sunday of Advent. That's what we do. We talk about hope. So in order to talk about hope, I wondered if we might engage with a lesser known Christmas character who might have also had a hard time with hope. His name is Joseph. You guys familiar with Joseph? Of course you're familiar with Joseph. He's, he's Jesus' dad, right? What do we know about him? Not very much. Uh, we know he was Jesus' earthly father. We know he was engaged to Mary when he found out that Mary was going to have a baby that was not his. So I would imagine that that was not on his list of things to do for that year. That was not a part of his plan. Um, we're going to start by reading about Joseph here in Matthew, that's Matthew 1, 18 to 25. And I really hope Jeff, yeah, thank you, because I can't see this, nor can I really see that. So at some point I may ask someone to read for me. Uh, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being just and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So not very much information, right? We really don't hear about Joseph, even in the other Gospels, very much. But what we do know is that he probably did not have this whole thing planned where his wife would have a baby by the Holy Spirit. That, that was not part of the plan. Um, I love the language around finding out that Mary was pregnant. They, it doesn't matter what translation you use, it's always very scandalous, because it was scandalous. She was found to be with child. She was discovered to be with child. And I have to believe, and I know the Gospels don't do it in this order, but I have to believe that Mary has heard from her angel where the Holy Spirit told her uh, where the angel told her that the Holy Spirit was going to come to her and give her this baby in the name of Jesus. And then she bounced. She went to hang out with Elizabeth for three months, who had John the Baptist in her belly. This is a very exciting family, right? And then Joseph was kind of left to figure out what to do. Very much like the rest of us, where something big happened, and then we were kind of left to figure out what to do with the rest of it. And Joseph, being the nice man that he was, didn't want anything bad to happen to Mary, didn't want anything bad to happen to him. So he resolved to divorce her quietly. And I wonder if that's not just how we'd like to do 2022. Could we divorce her quietly and walk away from this? But we can't. We can't because here we are. And I want to show you the piece of this that floored me more than anything else. We're going to go back to verse 20 here because what we see is because he considered these things, behold, an angel. But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying... Do you know what this says to me? This says to me that Joseph had all of this stuff swirling around in his belly, all of this heartache, all of this confusion, all of these experiences he didn't know what to do with, and he did not do what Ashley would do. He did not freak out. He did not phone a friend. He did not pitch a fit. He did not try to fix everything. I'm a super fixer. I'm a super fixer. He didn't do any of that. He went to sleep. (laughs) He went to sleep. And that's the first thing I took away from this story is he took a time out. When things didn't go the way he thought, when things were not working out, when his wife was found to be with child, he went to sleep. And that pause gave God space to speak to him. And I wonder, this made me wonder, Wonder. I've been using that word a lot. Um, it made me wonder, how much of this year have I spent pressing fast forward instead of pressing pause? How much of this year have I pushed through and tried to survive and tried to fix and freaked out quite a bit? How much of this year have I done that instead of pressing pause? Because where Joseph pressed pause, it gave room for God to speak. And I think maybe I haven't been doing that. And what happened when he gave Joseph that room? When he gave God that room to speak, Joseph was visited by wise counsel. So this angel messenger comes. We're back in verse 20 still. um, This angel messenger comes, and Joseph is humble enough to recognize that this person who's coming to talk to him—we're going to use "person." I don't know if angels are actually people or if they look like people. I've never had an experience with an angel, so I don't know. But he's decided that this is someone who is smarter than him, who has more information than he does. And maybe he should let this person give him some advice. That kind of humility is a big deal. He had to get out of his own way and let the voice of God through that angel speak to him. And what did the angel say? Well, he told him a couple of things. First of all, he told him that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And that feels big for me because that means that Mary was exactly who Joseph thought she was. This wasn't scandalous. This wasn't her cheating on him or anything like that. The woman he had chosen had the same character that he thought from the very beginning. That felt big for me. The angel to- also told him that they were going to name this baby Jesus and that he was the fulfillment of prophecy. Now, that prophecy we read, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. In verse 23, that prophecy that we see is all the way back from Isaiah. Isaiah 7:14. And I mean, if we think about who Joseph is for a second, he's from the line of David, right? So this wouldn't have been the first time he had heard this prophecy. This is a time where he had probably heard this his whole life. If you're from the line of David and you've heard all of this stuff for your entire life, you know that at some point, someone in your lineage, someone in your generations, in your genealogy is going to bring about change, right? But I I don't imagine Joseph thought it was going to be him. But what does this mean for us? First of all, I think it means that God wants to use us in things that are bigger than we are. And second of all, I think maybe we have to start looking for wise counsel if we aren't already. Now, angels don't really come to us in dreams. If you have angels come to you in your dreams, I want to talk to you because I want to know how to make that happen. Because that, well, it sounds terrifying, but it also sounds pretty cool. But for us to hear wise counsel, it often... It often comes from here it often comes from here and it comes from the Holy Spirit and I drop that thing and I'll pick it up later Um, it comes from the word and it comes from the Holy Spirit and the hard part for me in listening to wise counsel from the word and from the Holy Spirit is that I don't stop talking ever I have this list of things remember I'm a fixer right I have this list of things that I want God to fix or that I want him to let me fix really if we're honest the only way you can really hear wise counsel is the same way as Joseph, to get quiet. He went to sleep. I mean, you're not more quiet than that, unless you're my son. He does not sleep quietly. He went to sleep. He got quiet, and he was able to hear from the Lord in that quiet. Now, wise counsel isn't just The word of God and the Holy Spirit. It also comes from the people that God places in our lives, right? So there are people around us who speak to us and speak truth to us. And we should be careful with who those people are. I vividly remember one of those traumatic times when Ryan was a toddler in Target. And he was doing that toddler thing they do where he was completely dead weight. And I couldn't really hold him anymore. Um, And he was a color of purple that a person shouldn't be and he was screaming in my ear, and the target cashier had lots of advice to give me about how to manage this situation well. That is not wise counsel. She had advice, but she was not wise counsel. You can't just let anybody speak truth to your life. George Washington said it like this. If you thought I was gonna get through this without some reference to Hamilton, you were sorely mistaken. Be courteous to all, but intimate with few, And let those few be well tried before you give them your confidence. This means that wise counsel is people you can trust. It's people you can hand your dreams to. It's people you can hand your doubts to. And they'll hold them for you and you can trust that they'll do that. And they'll tell you the truth. Once they tell you the truth, though, you have to decide what to do with it, right? And we see that with Joseph, too. He's a a decision point. We see him here in verse 24. He's heard from this wise counsel. And then we see in verse 24, when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. So it doesn't seem like we read this and we think, okay, he went to sleep, he woke up, he was Jesus' dad, the end. Love, Matthew. Um, No, I don't think that that's how that happened. We don't always get all of the information in scripture and John tells us it's because if... If we got all of the things that happened to Jesus while he was on earth, then it would fill more books than than we can imagine. So what I think happened here is that Joseph had some of those same feelings that we're having now, where he was like, okay, God, you want to do this thing, but I'm still kind of sad that I don't get to have this marriage that I had envisioned with Mary. We don't hear about that despair. We don't hear about what he did for those three months while Mary was gone. We don't hear about him mourning this life that he didn't get to live with her. We don't hear how much time it really took him to get from, okay, Mary's pregnant, to, okay, I'm going to be Jesus's dad. But in the end, he didn't fall apart. He trusted God to be God based on what he had heard from his wise counsel. And he chose to take a step of faith toward God because remember Joseph's line of David, he's heard about God and God's promises for his whole life. His whole life has been an experience of going to festivals and going to Passovers and going to temple and hearing about this God who keeps his promises over and over and over and over again. So he had the evidence to, to believe that God was going to keep this promise too. And he had a choice to make. Not only did he have the choice to make of whether to listen to this wise counsel at all, because he didn't have to. He could have still divorced Mary and walked off. But he didn't. He chose hope instead. Now, we can't really talk about hope much further unless we define it. Because hope is one of those things that you say, but I don't know that we necessarily know what it really means. I think that hope is confidently expecting a promised result. And that's different than a wish. A wish is something you can do when you close your eyes and blow out your birthday candles, or you can say it when you cross your fingers. It's more about uh, changing your circumstances so that your, reality, your current reality is better. It doesn't have anything to do with promises. Like if I say, I hope it doesn't snow that much this winter. I've used the word hope, but what I really mean is wish. There's no promise that, it doesn't, that it's not gonna snow this winter, could we get that in? No, Um, there's no promise. So that's the difference between a hope and a wish. I think we do use the words interchangeably, but I don't think they mean the same thing. Hope is that fire that burns in your belly. Do you know that feeling? That feeling where you keep going even though it doesn't, it's not what you really wanna do. You keep going even though you didn't know you could do the thing that you're doing and it changes your reaction to circumstances instead of asking for the circumstances to change. And I think that's what happened to Joseph here. His reaction changed to the circumstances, and he stopped asking for the circumstances to change. And I think this might be the most important part, though. I know we don't hear about whether he mourned the loss of his relationship. I know we don't hear about what he did for the three months that Mary was gone, but I do think he had some he I think he was up in his feelings a little bit. I do. It doesn't mean he doesn't have feelings. I think sometimes as Christians we decide that if we're we're in pain or we're sad or we're disappointed it means that we don't have hope. And I don't think that's true. Pain and hope can coexist. Sadness and disappointment and hope all of those can coexist. And it it's a choice. To keep hoping when we're in pain, when things are hard, when they don't work out, when they didn't go the way we thought that they would. It's difficult, but it's possible. And God meets us there. We see it in 2 Corinthians. Do you have 2 Corinthians, too? I have it if you don't. Um, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Does that say he will take away our affliction? No. It says he will comfort us in it. He comforts us in times of trouble. So this means two things for us. One, we will have trouble. And two, we won't be alone in it. There is hope there. This is where I started to really feel hopeful as I was doing this study, is realizing that no matter what affliction comes my way, and affliction is going to look different for all of us, no matter what affliction comes my way, there is comfort there. I'm not alone in it. Whether it's God himself, the Holy Spirit, his word, the wise counsel he sends me, I'm not alone in it, and it's not forever do you guys remember that? I don't even remember who sang it, but my mom used to play it all the time, that Ecclesiastes song about seasons to everything, turn, turn, turn. Do you remember that song? Um, That's what this reminded me of, is that Ecclesiastes 3 song about birth and death and weeping and laughing and mourning and dancing, that there are seasons of good and bad and that those things happen sometimes simultaneously, but also separately. And there's an ebb and flow to the lives that we live. And in that same chapter of Ecclesiastes in verse 11, It also says he has made everything beautiful in its time. I don't like that one. And I don't like that one because I don't know what that means in its time. It means that I can't be a fixer for one. It means I don't have any control over my circumstances for another. But if we go back to that passage in Corinthians, I'm not alone in either of those places of not knowing how to fix and not knowing what to do. So as Christians, first we have to acknowledge that things are terrible. We have to be able to say that out loud. We can't put a coat of paint over things, over a hole in the wall. I didn't do this, parents, if you're watching. You can't put a hole, a, a, a coat of paint over a hole in the wall and call it fixed. You can't do that. That's not hope. We're not talking about putting a positive spin on things or finding a silver lining. That's not hope. Hope is a person. And hope is a choice. This is not about pretending things are okay. And I don't know who needs to hear me say this, but you are not a bad Christian if you struggle with hope. You are a human who needs Jesus just like the rest of us. All right, let's go back to Joseph one more time here. But I dropped that piece of paper, so now everything is lost. Here we go. Um, What I saw in verse... 24 here. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. If we take out that whole three-month section, what we see here is Joseph went to sleep wishing, and he woke up hoping. He chose to believe that messenger when he said that God with us was coming. He didn't have to do that. He very easily could have taken matters into his own stand, into his own hands, and instead he hoped in God with us, that long-awaited Emmanuel. And I wonder if that's an opportunity for us now to, today, to choose hope. Maybe I'm your wise counsel today. That's fun. Let's go with that. So I want to ask you some questions. Because, I mean, that's my, that's my lens. I used to do this in front of a classroom, so you always ask a lot of questions, right? You wait for your people. How often do you Pause and give God space to speak. And I'm not talking pause like numbing out and watching an entire season of The Good Place on Netflix. Not that I've done that this week. Um, I'm talking about actually sitting in the quiet and listening for the voice of the Lord. Who do you turn to when you need guidance? Is it here? Is it in that quiet space listening for the Holy Spirit? Or do you have people in your life you can count on for that wise counsel? Do you have rhythms in your life, time that you spend with God in his word and in prayer? And if you're already good at hope, and I know there are some of you who are, I want to talk to you after because I want to know how to do this well. Can you be wise counsel for someone else? Can you help them hope again? If you're good at hope, and I'm asking you this now, I bet God's already put someone on your heart that he wants you to walk with. Have you let hope go to sleep this year, in this year that shall not be named? Are you in a position now, today, to choose hope, even in your sadness, even in your pain, even in your disappointment, alongside those things? are you in a position to choose hope? I think some, in, in our heart of hearts, we might say no, some of us. That it just feels too hard. That it just feels too big. But I want to challenge you with scripture that you're already in a position to choose hope, no matter what feelings you have. So this first one is from Psalm 119. And if you read Psalm 119, first of all, there are a gazillion verses. So buckle up, it's long. Second of all, The word hope appears in here all over the place. So I just picked this one. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. What about Lamentations? He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished, and my hope so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore... I will hope in him. Or how about Romans? Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Do you see how hope shows up in all three of those and it looks different in every place? Sometimes it's waiting and patient. Ew, I'm not patient in any way. Sometimes it's tender and crying out all of these things that are hard, but sometimes it's confident. Sometimes it's confident and it expects a promised result. Friends, hope is a discipline. It's something you have to work at. It's like building stamina to do a long run for reasons I still don't fully understand. Or lifting heavy things at the gym. You have to train yourself to hope. It's so easy for us to get stuck in our survival modes. It's so easy for us to get stuck in those feelings of disappointment and sadness. And just like working out, it won't always feel good to try to hope alongside those things. It won't always feel like you're doing the right thing. And sometimes you'll wonder what it's all for. And that's okay. You can tell him when you feel like this. Our God is big enough to manage those doubts. Our God is big enough to show us again and again and again how to hold hope alongside disappointment. Every bit of rage we want to throw at him, he's strong enough for that. And he's he's tender and kind. And just like he reminded Joseph of the promises, he says it in Matthew, Joseph, son of David. That's God reminding Joseph of his promise and the promises he's already fulfilled. God does that for us too. And each time these waves of sadness or disappointment start to overwhelm us, and they will, we have that choice to get back up and do it again. We're always in a position to choose hope, no matter what we're feeling. So I want to give you some practical advice here. Um, I have a background in counseling. I don't currently counsel because it turns out when uh, you want to be a licensed therapist, they tell you not to give people advice, and I think that's dumb. So um, practical advice here. In cognitive behavioral therapy, what you're trying to do is change your thought pattern. So when these thoughts creep up that are not the thoughts that you want to reside in your mind, we want to change the pattern. What I hear people say a lot are things like, I'm sad, but I'm hopeful. I'm disappointed, but at least I have hope. I want you to change one word. One word. I'm sad and, and I have hope. I'm disappointed and I'm hopeful. We can do both things at the same time. I want to tell you a quick story about Catherine. Catherine Wolfe, um, in 2004, married her college sweetheart. Uh, she moved to California. He went to law school. And three years after they got married, they had a baby. And then six months after they had that baby, her husband came home from class. And she was laying in the floor in their kitchen. And she had had a stroke. And it took 16 hours of brain surgery and some removal of what I understand to be important parts of your brain. And they didn't know if she was going to live. They didn't know if she was going to be able to talk or walk or take care of this baby. They didn't know any of that. She still has significant weakness on her right side, but she lives on. Uh, She's had another baby. She runs a camp for people with disabilities with her husband, and they've written two books together. And she says something that I wonder if you can take with you today. She says that if we have a pulse, We have a purpose. She says that hope heals us. And that we hope while we cope. That hope is a future promised, lived out in the present. She is living and breathing, Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ... Don't hear me say that if Catherine can do this, all of us can do this because her life is really hard and if her life is that hard, surely we should be fine. Don't hear me say that. That's not what I'm saying. I don't want to minimize what you're going through. I just want to offer you an example of what it looks like to hope and cope at the same time. And I really just want you to believe that God is who he says he is with me. I told you hope was hard for me. So I need your help, too. Will you, will you believe with me that our suffering isn't wasted in this year that must not be named, and that our hope is worth it? And will you choose hope with me over and over, even when it's hard? Will you make space for hope alongside your sadness and disappointment? Will you pray with me? God, thank you that you are who you say you are over and over and over and over and over again. And not only that, God, that I am who you say I am. And that you've made me and the people around me people who can carry pain and hope at the same time. God, I ask that this change us today. That we actually become a people who believe that hope is real. That it isn't just that coat of paint, that silver lining, that positive thinking. Those aren't hope. God, we want to hope in you. We believe, Lord. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name.